What is Games Radar playing at? I I don't know, man. This is some bullshit this, right this here. This is some shit right here. First of all, show notifications, block, stop doing that website. Had enough yeah. of that. Had enough of that already. Um, I don't want your notifications. You can fuck off. Um, I accidentally clicked allow on one of those, and then every single day I got some fucking, I think it was bleeding coal. I don't even read their website. Nothing against them. I don't know if they're good or bad. But somehow their notifications end up on my fucking desktop all the time. I don't care about the new season of Walking Dead. Is there one? I don't know. I just see it and I I, I close that notification, friend. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's not the point of this. This is Games Radar's list of the ten best video game movies of all time. It was only published a month ago. Now I'm not one to give much of a shit about top ten lists, but this one's actually offensive. <laughs> Bear in mind, we're the experts on this by now, Conrad. Oh, definitely. Most definitely. No one, I think, has has been at it longer and deeper than us. You know, uh, we, we've not only talked about video game movies for years. Literal years now. Literal years. You've broken down every single one. Every yeah. single one. We are scientists. We've dissected like a frog in class. I don't think you can do that in most states now. These movies. We know what we're talking about. So as scientific experts, we should be quite rightly offended by the list of top... Of all time, Conrad. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All time. All time. And I'm going to go through every single one. Because... Fuck off with this shit. Because it's offensive? It's, it offends mine eyes. It offends mine eyes in the sight of the Lord, and thus I must cut them out. Number 10, Assassin's Creed. Fuck off. I mean, if, if, if Assassin's... Here's the thing about this list. Just I'm going to just drop this right off the bat. There are going to be a whole lot of movies where you're going to hear it, and you're going to think, well, if it was number 10 on the list, maybe. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> Assassin's Creed is the only film that can get away with that because <laughs> it it's at number 10. 10. <laughs> and even then, that should be in the top 10 boringest films of all time, video game or otherwise. It's yeah. so dull. How can you make an argument for that when well, they, Double Dragon they... is not on this list? And that's well, at least entertaining. Let's, let's see how the argument progresses because it does not get better at number nine. In, in that sense. It is oh, an no. equally boring film at number nine. I mean, I'll spoil this for the, the listener. Most of them are just boring, and that seems to have been their baseline for quality. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's entertaining or not. It's, was there a big budget behind this? Are the graphics pretty? Which, you know, I guess part of the course for a video game reviews website. But, number nine, Warcraft. <laughs> World of Warcraft was just ripe for being picked up by Hollywood, being brushed aside as Lord of the Rings light, Blizzard's jewel in the crown, is packed with lore in abundance, and it's all guided under the steady hand of indie darling Duncan Jones. It's not only the best performing video game adaptation of all time, as of writing, grossing $433 million, it chooses to give the world of Warcraft, here in brackets, a pedestal to stand on, and it is beautiful. No! It's like Attack of the Clones, but a bit better in that they're so obviously there's so obviously a distinction between the live action shit and the cartoons. 
I still love you and your dad, Duncan, but the movie sucked. It sucked. Two hours and change. And we had to talk about it twice because the recording fucked up on the first one. Oh, that's right. Oh, God. It says something where that's something I remember about the movie more than the movie is we had to talk about it twice. I couldn't tell you what happened in it. I remember two orcs having a cartoon fight at one point. There was a portal. Cartoons. There was a portal. There was a... There were humans in it, but I don't remember anything they did or who they were. <laughs> it yep. was an over-expensive, boring, trash lump. I hate it. Number eight, Mortal Kombat. Why is that not higher? That does not make any sense. That Why is that not number one? in the top five. Mortal Kombat is the best video game movie of all time. I've got no shame going on the record and saying that. I will take that to the grave. It's it, it's definitely it would I might there might be a couple that I I shuffle around in a top three position, but I think it would be in the top three. Definitely top three, yeah, definitely. No video game movie has come as close to mirroring the spirit of the games it's based on. Because yep. Mortal Kombat as a movie don't give a fuck. It doesn't give a fuck how silly the costumes are, how nonsensical the story is. How ludicrous Goro looks when live action. This didn't go all self-conscious X-Men and, oh, we can't have the yellow spandex. Knowing nod to the camera. No, it was just like, Scorpion's yellow, isn't he? All right. (laughs) Shove him in. Does he have a skull head? Even fucking better. Wait, did we forget to have him say finish him? Ah, we'll do it in Foley. Yeah. Ed Boon will do it. Because we don't care. Because it's Mortal Kombat. That game is great. This list wouldn't be complete without some horribly 90s campiness games, Radar says. There needed to be more of it. Yeah, this is the only 90s one there. And that some of the 90s, the, the campy 90s movies are way better than the modern, po-faced, dreary drag. But that's what most of this list... Oh, Conrad, no. Hmm. But then we come to the... The sweetest this was what set plum. you off. This is what got me upset. This is what genuinely offended me. It's everybody's favourite CGI anti-immigration film, The Angry Birds Movie. At number seven, it is literally objectively scientifically in the eyes of Games Radar, one better than Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Is better than Angry Birds. Is better Birds. than Angry Birds. In fact, I think I think Mortal Kombat Annihilation would probably make a top ten list. It'd be on it'd be on my top ten, definitely. And in the spin-off Doctor's top ten, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, please. Thank you. Yeah. Ding ding. Ring the bell. Put it in a little bag. Give it to your grandma. Mortal Angry Kombat Birds Annihilation. Movie would not would not make would not make my list. No. Top ten distressing anti-immigration films. Yeah, sure, maybe. <laughs> Top although, 10 CGI well, propaganda. Although, you know, there's still time. You know, there's, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's, there's plenty of time. There's going to be a wide, broad future for CGI propaganda in our future. <laughs> yes. So, number seven. And this yeah. isn't one of those ones that even qualify for the if it were number 10, I'd understand. Okay, even Gabe's radar knows 
that they're fucking up here because the very first thing they say after in the you know, description is, wait, don't go. Literally. Number seven, the Angry Birds movie. Wait, don't go. Video game movies can't all be gritty trips through the browns and grays of another war-torn landscape. Ooh, you're right. Yeah, it wants, pe- it needs to it wants people to stop coming to this country from war-torn landscapes. <laughs> is what it is. Oh. Oh. Ugh. Look, if you're expecting 2001 A Space Odyssey, then this isn't for you. I'm not. <laughs> no, nobody nobody looked at nobody came to this list. If you're <laughs> expecting Mortal Kombat Annihilation, that film isn't for you. <laughs> that the Angry Birds movie is sub trash. Yeah. Number six, Prince of Persia. What? I mean it's at least inoffensive. <laughs> if it were number ten. Yes, if it were number 10. And even then, like, it's just like Assassin's Creed or Warcraft. It's boring. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just slow and a drudge. Yeah. Like, like a lot of these. It's like they just went for ones that were expensive and put Mortal Kombat on there as because they felt they had to do one. I mean, they even said they had to do one. This list wouldn't be complete without some horribly 90s campiness. Ratchet and Clank at number five. Least defensive one on the list, I think. Yeah, this is the one I'm coming closest to agreeing with the placement, and even then, it could probably go down a slot or two. I mean, I would have it in the lower half, definitely. Yeah. On my list, it might be number 10, but I wouldn't, I don't even think I'd put it on my list. And I don't mm. think it's a terrible film, I just don't think it's top 10 quality in terms of what I would look for in a video game movie. And I think I, I've communicated clearly enough what it is that I look for. It ain't fucking Angry Not, Birds at number it's seven. zero fucks, is what you... Yes. <laughs> You'd think it wouldn't be that high a bar, but there are ten movies on this list that show otherwise. Number four, Tomb Raider. 2018 Tomb Raider. Another boring, expensive one. I would have put Lara Croft Tomb Raider on this list before... The 2016 Tomb Raider. Not that the 2016 Tomb Raider is, quote-unquote, a bad film. Things happen in it, though. Yeah. I mean, it, but it's... It's... it's eh, boring, yeah, yeah. like a lot of these modern interpretations. And at least the the um, Angelina Jolie one has a campiness to it that's kind of fun. And it's so over the top. Yeah. That's it. There's some fun there. Not this po-faced maudlin shit. Number three, Resident Evil. Might make my top five. I, I would have it in my lower half. And in a top ten list as well. Yeah. Number two, yeah. Silent Hill. Silent Hill, okay. That's that's similar, like the most respectable choice on this list. Yeah. Similar to Resident Evil for me again. Like, if not for how it shits the bed in the final furlong, I, I rate it. I rate it. It would be, again, in the lower the lower end. Because really? I, so? I think all of the 90s ones would still be like Double Dragon and Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation and Street Fighter. Um, I mean, there, there's four that I would have in my top five already. Because I look for vastly different things uh, when it comes to films. And I don't want boring ones. 
Yeah. Like I... Final Fantasy The Spirits Within at number one. Uh, How? Again, again, like I would... The Spirits Within is not a is, is not a good movie. None of the Final Fantasy stuff that I've seen has been something that I particularly like. But I would no. still probably put Advent Children ahead of, of Spirits Within. If, if a Final Fantasy film had to be on the list, yeah. of course it would be Advent Children. Of course. I mean, obviously I'm affecting some of this disdain. And people are free to do whatever they want, taste the subjective, etc., etc. But my God, <laughs> but my God. Yeah, I, I, my list would be very, very, very different. Um, my list would probably have Street Fighter on it somewhere. Um, it would definitely have Double Dragon on it. Uh, it would have DOA on it. Uh, which is, you know, none of these are great films, but they are entertaining to watch and enjoyable. Um, Silent Hill would be on my list. Um, A, Resident Evil? I don't even know if Resident Evil 1 is the one I'd put on the list. No, the the second one's the best one. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, and... Uh... The spirits within at that's, number that, one. That's wrong. That's wrong on a lot of levels. The other Ask thing yourself I two questions. How and why? The other thing that I find offensive about this is that it has all of these fucking modern interpretation movies. The article came out a month ago, and it does not include Rampage. Mm. Which just, like, that which says Which, again, not me, a great film. But... Yeah. Vastly entertaining than almost anything on this list. And that's what this list says to me is that they just chose the most recognizable names. They just went for the big ones. Big, expensive films. Yeah, it's the Super Mario Brothers movie would probably make my top 10. I think so, yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's very entertaining. Right. Yeah. Jumanji is on, it's gotta be on mine. Although uh, that one they might not accept. I suppose, yeah. If we if we go and buy proper straight licensed, adaptations, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I Fair mean, if, if 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 we had the sort of leeway we take, Jumanji's definitely on my list, and maybe yeah. number two, <laughs> like number one it's or number high. two. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, okay. That's enough of that. Yeah. Um, because we have more torment to. <laughs> yes, we've got fresh hell to indulge Is it fresh? in. We've got, we've got slightly rotten hell. <laughs> it's got a bit of mold on it. It's got a bit of mold on it. Your dad might say it's still good, but you want to chuck it out. Yeah, he 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 might try to scrape some of that off. Yeah, eat say, around ah, yeah, it. It'll be okay. It'll be or okay. like just just throw out the slices that have got it on it. No, I'm putting the whole thing away. Yeah, yeah. Well, what they don't tell you is that once those spores are active in there, I mean, it's going through everything. There's nothing safe in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time, big time. Um, It's Thanksgiving. (laughs) 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 Um, No, it's the 29th as we record this, and I'll probably uh, put this out tomorrow, so it'll be the 30th. Do you want to know how my Thanksgiving was? Yeah, tell me how your Thanksgiving was. Weeks ago. <laughs> I say it was last, style or? last week, days uh, ago. 
That's that's what it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you it was all... did, did you celebrate? Did you do like food and all of that nonsense? Yeah, yeah, we went to see people out in the boonies. They got nice. a nice nice place there on on a big bit of land. Fairly well off. One of them's a hunter. You're just surrounded by heads. Hmm. It freaks me out. Hmm. It's a That's... mausoleum. That's all I see when I've got a giant fucking caribou looking down at me. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm trying to eat some ham and I've got this caribou looking at me with its dead eyes. How was yours? Uh, very quiet. My wife was... Uh in Stockholm teaching a class and Ooh. and uh, so her and her best friend uh, who lives here in town went to visit family so I watched her cats it was me and my wife's friend's cats on Thanksgiving it was great that she sounds brilliant it was it was nice there was n- I mean I did I I love to cook a Thanksgiving meal but to not have to cook a Thanksgiving meal also feels pretty good yeah yeah so yeah, it was it was super chill. I just great bummed around. It was good. Well, um, and Thanksgiving. I didn't think about pixels. Yes, Thanksgiving season isn't truly over until pixels has rolled around. Now we have talked about pixels two years running, not including this one, but we've actually looked at pixels three times. We did the original podcast. We did a live stream of us watching it. And we did it last last year as well. For it's become a, an annual tradition. Celebrate Good Harvest. Mm-hmm. Celebrate Good Harvest, Crop Yield, Scarecrows, Pumpkins. It all fits. Uh, it all works together. Um, i got to say, this time watching it, I guess the familiarity with it, the more you watch it, the more you notice things. Like if you watch The Shining enough times, you start to think it's about... Nazis or uh, oppression of Native American. Yeah, yeah. You you see some baking soda in the background and like, well, that's a broken peace pipe treaty in it, which is literally what someone thought. That movie is amazing. Seen, uh, the film Room Two Two Seven. Go check that out. That movie's fucking great. Or is it Two Three Seven? I can never uh, remember might, the it number. It might be Two Three Seven. All I know is that that's the Moon Room. Yep. The room that proves we faked the moon landing. <laughs> Room 227, 237, room 2 something and 7, whatever it is, go look it up. It's on Amazon. It's nothing but voices of people talking shit. (laughs) Talking shit that they believe uh, is in or or the shining centers around. But anyway. It's like UFO conspiracy theory for film study. Mm Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. But I must admit, I think I'm starting to form my own theories around pixels. Mm-hmm. I I detected, and we thought it was very cynical about this, but I detected in this one a strong undercurrent of love conquering all. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it, it's like the closer you examine and the, the deeper you could get into the metaphors at play and, and what that's... I, I don't want to say I've got a new respect for pixels because I don't think that that's possible. Yeah. Um, but at least I'm seeing something else under the surface. Yeah, yeah. I will say that the movie's been a couple years out now. The effects have not aged well. It's dated a bit. It's dated yeah. a fair bit. But on the plus side, 
For a movie I felt was so cynically cashing in on nostalgia, I didn't appreciate at the time, but do now, quite what an 80s feel it's got to it. And I feel like maybe some of the dated special effects are helping that now, mm-hmm. looking at it retrospectively. It feels a lot more 80s than it did when it first came out. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. There's a, a bit of a, now a sort of a, a sheen of... Uh, you know, like a little roughness that I didn't observe originally. And I think that's just because I was so caught up in in what effects were at the time that mm-hmm. with a little bit of distance, it, uh, it fits the aesthetic better. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, and one or two little cameos that I didn't spot last time. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later in the film, I think. But uh, yeah... For someone who likes to push his celebrity friends front and center, he kept a few in reserve on this that surprised it's... me when I rewatched it. I know at one point you messaged me and was like, holy shit, is that who I think it is? And I, I rewound it myself and was like, yeah, yes. Right? Crazy who's in this movie when you're really paying attention. Mm-hmm. So I guess we could just get into it. Yeah, I mean, um, we've been, I'm not saying well it's a good film. Round. Yeah, I ain't saying Pixels is a good film. Don't get me wrong. I don't want people to think, oh, God, have they been, like, Stockholmed into liking it. Um, I, was, I was wondering if a film could give me Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I know some people, like, when I play a really bad Steam game, but I seem to like it a bit, they're like, you, you've you just played so many bad ones, you're now just liking the, good one, the bad ones out of survival instinct. Uh, but no, it's still a bad film. Yeah, but. It's- I've noticed a few things that have raised its estimation, or raised it in my estimation, I should say. Um, so yeah, yeah, if we want to just go through this yeah, again, let's just crack on once more into the breach. We open with a starry sky and epic fanfare as titles are shown, and a sinister-looking rock drifts toward a planet with two suns, and landing on its surface becomes a fortress. It's kind of a neat thing. Like, yeah, just, yeah. Just a floating rock fortress in space that lands on the planet. That's kind of an interesting way to introduce a villain. Um, a voiceover tells us that this rock has been to other planets and killed everything on it, and now it's on this planet. But there's a prophecy that says the result of a marriage on this planet is going to produce a child that will rule the galaxy. And as this is said, we're shown a woman, so I guess that's a hint as to what we're expected to think about this prophecy. Generally a good clue, isn't it? Mm-hmm. If the voiceover talks about someone and then you see a person, I mean, it. generally it's, it's, it's what we call storytelling. Well, her name is Lissa, and you're not going to believe this, but she's about to get married. Oh, my God. The right? prophecy's coming true already. Jesus Christ. She's getting married to a guy named Colwyn who's on his way over by horseback in this medieval fantasy world. Yeah. And I never realized at the time just how much Adam Sandler was channeling Carrie Elwes. Mm-hmm. It's like he's... he... It's clearly not him, but it's like he wants to be him and wishes he was in better films. Yeah. Yeah. It's And he's almost got a... Not, he's not quite Carrie Elwes. No. But there's definitely that vibe that he seems to be going for, that Errol Flynn-y, Carrie yeah. Elway's kind of I don't of know if it was makeup or just the way he wore his hair, but he, he throughout this film, he looks like someone who should be playing characters called fucking Corwin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Caspian and names like that. Defying the stereotype of feudal lords and kings, her dad is super into Lissa not marrying this guy because he's from the rival kingdom. But Lissa actually recognizes this as the only way for them to survive the attack of the Slayers, which are these extraterrestrial things that have the planet basically on lock. The king doesn't seem to understand the point of a marriage deal. Right, that's so He doesn't quite understand what these marriage pacts are. And as a king, that's unusual. It is is strange that a king would not (laughs) be the one... Pushing to arrange a marriage for his yeah. daughter. But then this is a king who saw red translucent plastic and thought, my royal guards can wear that shit. <laughs> That's the other thing that I... I Have we got some yellow we can put on there? Really make them look like a rhubarb and custard sweet? Brilliant. I'm very, I'm very confused by the, the guards and the armor that they're wearing in this castle. And the people riding on horseback in standard fantasy garb. The infinitely cooler looking ones. Yeah. Oh, sure. Because yeah. they're not wearing red translucent plastic. And they have some detail to their costumes because they're not just smooth crap, too. There's, yeah. You know, they they look prop- like off-brand visionaries action figures is what they look like. <laughs> uh, Colwyn shows up. And after making the two dads play nice with each other, checks with his lady so they can have some romantic banter and he can lay one on her. And that night, a ceremony's held. The two kings agree to con- combine their kingdoms under the rule of their children, and there's an exchange of fire. Now, this, this is a, like a weird marriage ritual that they have, This is one of those... You could tell Adam Sandler had a good idea. Sure. The, fe- the special effects at the time... I don't think 2015 CGI quite pulled it off. Well, no. I mean, you can quite clearly tell that they didn't because the way that this seed uh, works, he's, Colwyn's holding, holding this torch, right? Yeah. And he sticks it into a font of water and says that the flame will only return when it's given to him by his bride. But then we see a shot of her, like, retrieving fire from this water and appears in her hand and it's all special effect. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a pretty obvious effect now looking back. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, just like I... some bad f- superimposition, really. Right, but but again, you know, like the real sort of sign that they didn't quite have it sorted out is if you see in the reflection of the water, Colwyn's torch is lit. <laughs> <laughs> and when they cut back to him, it is lit again. I hope someone was fired for that, goof. <laughs> Seriously. And if the... they weren't, I'm going to find them. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna find them. We're gonna find them for this. Yeah, I'm gonna find them and I'm gonna find them. I'll be like, right, fifty bucks. Uh, but before the ceremony can actually be finished, the slayers attack the castle. Lissa is sent with some guards out the back while Colwyn and the guard do the fighting, which happens. The, the guard lose a lot here. I think mainly because they were too busy looking at the slayers and thinking, why does their armor look so much better than ours? It, it, well, and it's not that fundamentally different. It's just more distressed. It's less shiny, less red. They look a lot more fantasy-like. They yeah. they put enough enough texture and distression sci-fi. on it that right. it looks like a sword would have a bit of trouble going through it if you squint and pretend that you're not looking at polystyrene. But it's so weird that, like, the 
bad guys from another planet have armor that looks more fan- high fantasy appropriate than the guards of the castle in the medieval world who have this sort of sci-fi plastic armor. Yeah, yeah, the medieval knights are firing lasers and the future <laughs> knights are fighting with swords. Um, it, it doesn't make much sense. No. You never quite know. At least for the first 20 minutes, you're never quite sure if this is meant to be a sci-fi or a fantasy. Later on, they get bored with the sci-fi and just drop it completely. And then we realise, oh shit, Adam's animated a, a fantasy movie that masquerades as science fiction. Which credit were credits too, I didn't see it coming. No. You know? When you tell me a movie, Pixels, all that, oh. I'm thinking all sci-fi, all, all of that stuff. So. I've watched this movie three times before. And I was surprised by the turn it took. I'm surprised every time. So, uh, Lisa gets captured. Both of their fathers are brutally killed. And Colwyn is left for dead as the Slayers ride out uh, on horses. I Also, I just got to bring this up. <laughs> the extraterrestrial race that robes the galaxy and has a teleporting castle still travels on horseback. Yes. When in Rome. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah. Oh, the, the other thing is uh, in this fight is the Slayers, the these monster things. They like turn into worm things. Yeah, you stab them, and they make this high pitched screech, and then just this mass, this worm like mass of offal, comes out of the head hole, and and it's never been quite sure to me if they die or if like they lose their bodies and the worm things just escape because it, it always feels like they're, the ground. Yeah. they're bur- burrowing away yeah, which means strange. that throughout the movie at no point has the main bad guy who is imaginatively called the beast at no point does the main villain lose any troops no, it's just really resource costs to make more armor yeah uh, at daylight an old man rides to the castle, uh, lifts an amulet off of Colwyn's dad's corpse, and bandages the young prince now king up. Colwyn wakes and freaks about Lyssa, who he's told is alive and being held, but the old guy from the mountains tells him to chill the fuck out and shows Colwyn his dad's amulet and then gives him shit for grieving. <laughs> like, oh, by the way, your dad's dead. Hey, yes, yeah, stop being sad about your dead dad. You gotta be a king now. Yeah, grow up. What a dick. But he does kind of have a point. And as Yanir goes to leave, Colwyn asks where Lyssa is and asks Yanir to lead him there. And after establishing that Colwyn has vague authority, no friends, and no plan, Yanir tells him that he'll need the glaive, an ancient weapon on a mountain now seen only as a legend by their people. And one problem with this film is that it doesn't know what a glaive is. It... The movie thinks a glaive is a fidget spinner. Yeah, it's it's like a a star-shaped blade-throwing weapon. They travel to this mountain where the glaive is supposed to be, and uh, and Colin is told that he has to leave Yuner behind and go find it himself because only the worthy one can get it. So he scampers across these rock faces until finding a crevice near the top of the highest peak. And inside, he finds lava. And in that lava is a thing vaguely shaped like his amulet, uh, which is covered in hardened rock. Uh, 
Uh, he rolls up his sleeve and sticks his hand into the lava, pulls out the glaive, and the rock all falls away to reveal this beautiful jeweled and bladed weapon beneath. Cut to Lissa in the eye of... something. Uh, it's just a big eye-shaped hole. Yeah. And this this shot actually reminds me of like a, a 70s film or something a little a little more artsy, you know? Yeah. Uh, like a, like a Bergman film almost with the way that this is framed in her because uh, yeah, you're looking at her through an eye shaped portal, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's uh it's kind of a with nothing shot. nothing but like empty space around it. It's all black and the focus is purely on this eye in the center of a black screen. And it's like it's pretty artistic for Adam Sandler, I have to say. I I it, it surprises me. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, but. Hey, it, it's that. It's like what you said about that Netflix special. Is frustratingly, he shows he's still got talent. Right. Yeah. He 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 understands the language of Phil, but just refuses to speak it. Yes. Um. Colwyn returns to Yanir with the glaive. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You know, in that eye, I skipped something here. In that eye, the Beast is trying to convince Lissa to marry him instead of that fancy lad she has her heart set on. Yeah. All uh, he says is he's gonna marry her. I will give you jewels, and that's it. And then it's, yeah. it's cut away from the scene. It's not uh, not not super compelling argument at this point either. Not really. No. I mean, she's already a princess going on queen. She's all right for jewels. Colwyn returns to Yanir with the glaive, eager to use his new toy, but Yanir has some uh, disappointing news. Apparently, the Dark Fortress teleports like some kind of castle full of Draculas. And he doesn't yep. precisely know where it is at this exact moment. Yeah. So this makes it, Colwyn... It is Castle Duckula yes. slash Castlevania, whichever one you want to go with. <laughs> this makes Colwyn very inconsiderate and rude to the old man who clearly just wants to drag out their every interaction because he's close to death and people are naturally repulsed by the old because it reminds them of what they will inevitably become in the best of circumstances. Naturally. Eventually, he just adds another stop on the road, saying, ah, we can lure the current whereabouts of Castlevania from the blind Emerald Seer, who's like a day's ride away. No big deal. Yeah. So they make camp later, and a ball of fire flies past them into a stream. And that's revealed to be a person. The man is a pie thief and amateur magician who turns himself into a goose when dismissed by Colwyn and Yanir. He is Ergo the Magnificent! Short yes. in stature, tall in power, narrow of purpose, and wide of vision. And he does not travel with peasants and beggars. He does not. He is the most charming character in this film. This is where the movie actually picks up. Yeah. For the first 24 minutes, you're like, okay, this is an Adam Sandler film. It's not my sense of humor, but where are the jokes? Where are the laughs? Like, there's just nothing funny happening anywhere in this. Um, no, now, no. Now at least like it was, get... it was funny at the beginning. You know, oh, it's Kevin James and he's wearing really tight red plastic armor. Ha, ha, ha. Sure. But it's not until Ergo the Magnificent turns up that the movie actually gets a bit of life in it. Because until then, it's, it's just, it's very flat. It only, it only keeps uh, the same tone. But then Ergo comes in and it's like comic, you know, he's the C3PO-ish one, the sort of, the, the complainer but also the sort of campy comic relief is all right. Yeah, yeah. Rightly judging that this dude's not going to survive in this forest, Colwyn invites him to travel with them. Uh, and he refuses because, as you say, he does not travel with peasants. 
until he wanders into the forest and comes face to face with a cyclops and immediately changes his mind. Yeah. One of the few effects in this film that are actually decent. Is the the cyclops? The cyclops with the blinking eye. Yeah, yeah. that's it's not great, but the no, practical but the, nature of it and yeah the practical the makeup effects of the of the cyclops uh i mean you know if you want to evoke an 80s style visual i mean they nailed that right like, yeah. I, it's, it, it's it's right on target there so uh credit where credits due um the dark fortress teleports to an icy domain and the beast promises to give lissa freedom within the walls of the palace whatever's that that's worth um, so, okay. On the road, Colwyn and crew are attacked by robbers. Ergo detects these robbers and tries to turn them into pigs, but only manages to do this to himself, coincidentally saving his life in the process. Uh, yeah. because I didn't like that bit. No? Because that pig looked genuinely distressed. He did not look happy about being between those two axes, no. No, it was quite clearly a, a real pig quite really trapped. Between two axes that have been crossed into the ground. I didn't like it. Then again, they do a similar thing with the dog later. That dog did not look happy. No. What's up with the animals in this film? Like, I know it was 2015 and standards were a bit more lax, but come on. Yeah, seriously. Get 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 on it. Take care of your animals. It's just cruel. Yeah. Um, it turns out that the bandits are uh, who are all former prisoners, happen to be the friendly sort that like to have chit-chats with their victims. <laughs> Which gives Colwood time to convince them to join his crazy quest on the basis that, hey, you guys have kids, right? You wouldn't want your kids to be enslaved by the Slayers, right? Okay. Sure. Uh, they also, do, for a band of merciless robbers, they convince them pretty fucking quick. Yeah, it, it turns Based on no real tangible promise. Well, there, there is at least proof that he's the king because he's got the key to all their shackles because only yeah. the king and his lord marshal carry that key. That confuses me. Yeah, that doesn't uh, seem what like time a particularly he... practical way to operate a, uh, a prison system. That, and also, at what point did he pick that key up? Right. He'd only just found out his dad had died. Did he say, right, before we go off to find the green emerald seer, I've got to pop back and grab a key? i got to loot all or... my dad's shit. Did he already steal it? Had he already stolen it from his dad before everything kicked off? That's or, the only... There is one other possibility. In addition to being the prince, he could be the Lord Marshal. Nepotism. Yep. Nepotism through and through. How corrupt. And there's that Cyclops again, just watching all this shit. Ergo stops to harvest some gooseberries and is almost attacked by a slayer, but the Cyclops saves him, though he passes out in terror no. at having seen oh, the Cyclops again. Just to bring it very quickly back, mm-hmm. Tor- Torquil's my favorite character in uh, Pixels. Oh, Tor- I, Torquil's the, uh, he's the leader of the bandits, yeah. The leader of the bandits, uh, played by uh, the guy who was uh, the noble in Braveheart who betrayed, mm. uh, and some other roles as well. Um, I... I like his I like his look. I based one of my favorite D and D characters off that look, the sort of curly hair and the handsome in a not handsome way face he's got. Um, and I really liked the the noble bandit thing he had of he's got the shackles that the you know Corwin could t- uh, take off, but he's like you get this job done and then you can take them off. 
Well, it's, I mean, it's he he refuses to have them taken off until he gets the job done, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's just it gives him a good visual look because those shackles are on him for the whole film. Well, and uh, and, and it's like a, you know this is who I am, right? Yeah. It, it's not you know I'm not going to hide who I am. I respect that. Yeah, it, it was just a, an interesting and, and again you don't expect it in a Sander film, but it was a level of modest characterization mm-hmm. that. Didn't need a lot of words, but communicated a, f- a lot about the character. Yeah, yeah, it's it's oddly respectable from from Sandler. Yeah. Yanir <laughs> uh, pieces together what happened uh, with Ergo being unconscious somehow, noting that the Cyclops have ancient beef with the Slayers. It seems that they used to have two eyes. And they're from another planet also. So, like, the Cyclops are not native to this planet. And they used to have two eyes, but they made a deal with the Beast to exchange one of them for future sight, which turned out to only show them the moment of their own death. Yeah, this is, this is a classic Batman situation, where if you're called Edward Nigma, you're going to end up as the Riddler. You know, and, and in mm. this case, if you call the Cyclops, you're going to lose an eye. <laughs> Well, I mean, his name is Rel. He has a name. <laughs> oh, but I mean, like, that's the whole story, is they had two eyes, but then the Beast granted them the power to see the future and was like, right, I'm popping an eye off. Yeah. And I'm like, you were called a Cyclops. Your origin story was going to happen. You didn't check <laughs> carefully. That's the real irony, is now they've got the foresight. They had that. They didn't have the foresight to not name themselves Cyclops. Yeah. As a race. Yeah. That was their yourself. Call yourself Johnny Two Eyes. (laughs) I'm a race of Johnny Two Eyes. Try taking an eye now, fucko. Oh, shit. He he did take one. He can still do it. He can still do it, lads. Ah, fuck. Yanir Colwood, Ergo, and Torquil leave the rest of the group behind. And Yanir leads them to a blank stowed wall that opens up magically to let them in. Inside this cave, they find the blind seer, who agrees to seek the location of the Black Fortress. After Ergo steals snacks from the seer's young helper, Titch, and Torquil is stealing gem- emeralds from that are just, like, scattered all around here. Yeah. Ergo and Torquil are just making out, like, the, the literal bandit Torquil is. Uh, I always like that line where Ergo's pissed off at the kid for not having better sweets to steal. He's like, what kind of little boy are you? All little boys have candy. Yeah. I, so that's, that's what I intend to do, uh, actually, anytime I see a child on the street now is harass them for their candy. Yeah. He's like, yeah. you got any gumdrops? No? Fuck you. It's that cinnamon stick, is it? Right, break it in half. I'm having the bigger bit. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the young helper, Titch, is his name, and, and they introduce each other. Uh, seem to be bonding a bit. Uh, the seer does some magic stuff to a spinning gem, and there's a vision of the Black Fortress that appears briefly. But then the hand of the beast appears and shatters the gem before they can discover its location. Shatters its own fingers as well. Yeah, weird. Those big rubbery fingers did not look good in the final product no. when it tried to crush its hands and then the fingers just splay out in random directions. I mean, I respect them for trying to do that with a practical effect, right? Well, again, yeah, especially in, you know, the CGI age, you expect everything to be computer done. But, uh, you know, they went for the rubber hands, but they're not Star Wars. No, no, they're not. 
it seems the seer doesn't have the juice to stop the beast from hiding himself, except in one special place, the Emerald Temple. Well, of course. Huh, well, that's weird. That, that fits up perfectly, because he's the blind Emerald Seer. You'd think the blind Emerald Seer would be in the Emerald Temple to begin with. Right? Wouldn't that just be where they'd chill? Yeah, not inside a rock. And he seems, like, hesitant to go there. It's like your place, dude. Uh, Sexual harassment. The next scene... He he don't want to go back because there's a a tribunal to be had. Well, he, he has this resistance to going back, right? And then it just sort of, they, they're like, oh, come on, do it. And then it cuts scene, and he's with them. So he's traveling with them now. And I don't know if he agreed or if they just kidnapped him because they are an <laughs> army of criminals. That's true. Tolkien's just like, right, I'll deal with this. They head to a swamp, and the seer says that the temple is located where three trees grow as one. So, hey, cryptic, awesome, be on the lookout for that. Yeah. Oh, on the subject of bandits, we never pointed out the cameos that Sandler got involved in. Uh, well, we we've get, got. I, I was going to bring it up a little bit later because, uh, like, one of them is is actually like character significant. I, well, I didn't recognize yeah. him until later. Right. Uh, but um, let's see. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, as they're walking to through this swamp, actually, it's happening right now. Uh, Torkoal shows one of his uh, other bandit friends these emeralds that he stole. And it's Liam fucking Neeson. It's Liam Neeson. I, I don't know how I missed that the first time. It's hard times to recognize him. Yeah, I, I think it's so. just because there's a lot of makeup on it. I mean, it makes make him, him look, look like a younger so man. young, right? Yeah. I mean, it's unmistakably him, but the way they de age him like 30 years or so is, is astonishing. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow your mind. The other bandit, it's only Robbie fucking Carl Train. What? Yeah. No. Hagrid himself. Wow, that's crazy. I I didn't recognize him at yeah. all. So, oh, so you got Robbie one... Coltrane and Liam Neeson in a a double act, basically. Oh, he's he's the one who's like, oh, we're not getting anything out of this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't believe I didn't spot him this Looking time. Looking younger and thinner. Yeah. I, again, like for all of the special effects in this film that have dated. The makeup jobs are great. I mean, well, he must have lost 30 pounds for this yeah. role. I mean, yeah. hell, Todd Carty, who I don't expect you to know, he was in EastEnders, he appears to have lost three feet of height. Huh. That's wild. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I mean, the things you can do with special effects, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's clearly why the fire effects and any of the superimposed effects look so bad is all the money went on the, the cast, mm-hmm. which some would say was the right allocation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think some would say that, for sure. Uh, but now these these gems that, that Torkoal's showing Liam Neeson, they're all just cheap limestone, and so they laugh at him. And the, the seer is also amused at his trickery because he seems to be aware that he's done this thing to Torkoal, which seemed kind of like a dick move. Like, this empire is going to need money. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, maybe they're they're post scarcity, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. Because then why would there be thieves? Yeah, I guess people always want more, regardless. Oh, the greed of the common people. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and they want it for free. That's the thing. Like they don't want to work for it. 
You know, they don't. They don't. They're, they're not willing to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Uh, or their manacles in this case. Right. With their, you know, like a a, a small loan of I don't know, like a million dollars to start a. You need like a million dollar to start, but everyone's got that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's. Then you need to steadily lose your father's money. Yeah, but no, no, nobody's interested in going to to that kind of effort. You know, they all no. just want it now. I don't want to work for it. No Ridiculous. one patiently works away to wait for their inheritance. It's just, it's just sad. Yeah, I feel, I feel like uh, we've lost something as a nation. Um. Suddenly, they find uh, themselves in the middle of an ambush, and fighting happens. The Cyclops saves Ergo and Titch, and after the fact, uh, they confront this Cyclops, and he reveals his name is Rel. Turns out he's been following Yanir since he came down from the mountain, so even before we saw him, he was up on business. And so Colwyn formally invites him to join up. And as they walk, Ergo talks about how if he had a wish, he'd wish for a pie as big as a house, and then chides Tish for only desiring one puppy. Yeah, Ugo doesn't really think through the maintenance of a of million multiple puppies. puppies. Yeah, he Titch is like, I don't. Well, um, I think Ergo at first wishes for a pie the size of a mountain, and yes, then realizes that's silly, yeah. and scales it down to a house. He doesn't realize that also works with puppies, and that you should probably only wish for the amount of puppies you're willing to take care of, <laughs> and not a hundred, as he says. Not a hundred, a hundred puppies. As, as, I love dogs. That's too many dogs for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you didn't have to feed them, if the entire purpose of the puppy was so that they existed solely to be a writhing mass of furry warmth that you rolled around in, that's different. But that's not really a puppy, is it? No. And then you've got to be careful of monkey's poorism. Oh. What if you're like, I want a puppy I don't have to take care of. Okay, here's a puppy carcass. Or, I want a puppy I don't have to take care of, and then the puppy eats your face. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you gotta be careful about that. You, you know, you can't, the wish thing, it's that whole, you know, dark side of all of it. Gene, yeah. and gins, the devil, monkey's paws, you can't trust any of it. How upsettingly cynical as a nation have we become, though? Hmm. Once upon a time, it used to just be wishes, aren't they fun? Aladdin, etc. Uh, and nowadays, it's always a monkey's poor situation. I don't think I ever see wishes presented as face value fun anymore. It's always, oh, there's a dark side to it. Well, it's I'd... like at some point, Alanis Morissette came along <laughs> and made wishes cynical. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it is kind of, it is weird. I think it really actually speaks to our uh, the the nightmare of late stage capitalism that that we live under, right? Yeah. In that we always desire more, we always want more, and it always comes at a cost that we seem unwilling to anticipate. Well, that's that's just the nature of yeah. man, I guess. Yeah, we're uh, destined to monkeys poor ourselves. It's true. It's true. Uh, Lissa's running around the black forest a bit. And she winds up in a circular dobe room with, uh, like, a, a window looking out and is shown a royal gown that she's totes not into. And then she's pushed between two butt cheeks to face the eye of the beast. Like, There's I mean, something I, very fallopian about this whole thing. Yeah. She's going through all of these tubes. 
and then winds yeah she and she ends in this dome room that that closes up with these like two i want to say they're like inflatable balloons that she pushes through that's that's like yeah. what they use to do the effect it reminds me of the prisoner which I, I don't know if you've ever seen the prisoner i'm a, very familiar with the prisoner balls yeah it, it reminds me of the prisoner balls that's that that's what it made me think of similar yeah. technique uh but yeah, so she's she's a uh, she's in a bad way. In the swamp, Colwyn's misfit army is in quicksand, which the seer blames on the beast. Typical. I mean, I bet if he stubs his toe, that's the beast's fault too. Like, uh, you know, yeah. I don't want to say that the beast is getting a bad rap here, but I don't think it's fair to blame everything on the beast. It's not always the beast's fault. At some point, you've got to take some personal, like, pull yourself up by your manacles. And admit that sometimes sometimes you're it's your fault for yourself. that there was quicksand there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's just it. Uh, that's another thing that disappeared. The like, quicksand. Aside from non-cynical wishes, you don't see quicksand in popular culture as much anymore. When I was a kid, it was quicksand this, quicksand that. You couldn't move it, for quicksand. I used to think quicksand was, was a problem. It was everywhere, and it's I don't not know, an it, issue anymore. Apparently, maybe global warming dried it all up. That it's a myth, like as a culture. We've come to realize, oh, wait, that's just not a thing that exists. I don't know. Yeah. Back <laughs> when I was a kid, it was a prevalent fear. Oh, yeah. You'd have the lightning sand and the princess bride. Uh, you'd have it in all sorts of uh, even modernish movies, I think. You'd see it like a, a, a sci-fi-ish war movie. There'd be some pit of quicksand that somebody would yeah. wind up in. It was in countless cartoons. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. Quicksand everywhere. It was always the same story as well with quicksand. It was always don't struggle or you'll go down quicker. Right. And someone would struggle and go down quicker. But then they'd, they'd anchor themselves to something that wasn't in the quicksand and get out. And that's kind of what happens here. Uh, of course they do because it's quicksand. <laughs> right. Although there is one guy who is apparently holding a bag and, and they all reach out to try and grasp him, and Colwyn's at the lead, and it's this big, dramatic, I'm not going to fail my, you know, follower moment, and of course he slips out of his grasp. So, you know, now he's got some yeah. pathos. Well, uh, the thing is, if, if a movie or a show can get away with a quicksand drowning, it'll pop one in. Yeah, yeah. And and here we've got, like, nine people that we could afford to kill, so. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of bandits, and they only exist as fodder. Yep. Uh, so... They, uh, Man, 2015 was a great time for quicksand. It was. It was. It, it's weird how it just disappeared all in three years' time, though. It's yeah. It was surprising. like 2016 rolled around, and then it was like, no more quicksand. You've had your fill. Uh, meanwhile, while they're trying to rescue this guy from the quicksand, the seer is sitting alone, and this doppelganger of him wanders up and, I guess, presumably kills him. We don't see the odd screed kill, but there's only one of them there when Colwyn gets back a few seconds later. Well, we do, we see the body. Well, we do see the body afterwards because they move on with this doppelganger seer and Rel stays behind to make sure that they aren't being pursued. No. So he's And you there. can tell that... You can tell that it's the doppelganger here because the moment he thinks someone's not looking, he opens his eyes to show them all black and scary. Right. It's well, like... And it's like, I guess, later there's another one of these changeling things that has normalized temporarily. And so, like, with the seer, the seer always had his eyes closed. You never see him with his eyes open. 
So this version of the seer is the only one you see with open eyes, and he has black eyes. So that kind of like, oh, okay, so these things can take the shape of something, but they have no eyes. That's creepy and awful. And then that rule is broken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Basically, if, if the film wants us to know they're a changeling, they get the mad eyes. If it doesn't want us to know they're a changeling yet, they gain the power to have normal eyes. Right. Um... So they, they move on with this doppelganger, and Rel is there when the quicksand vomits up the corpse of the seer a few minutes later. Now, having reached the location of the Emerald Temple, Colwyn is led, awi- led away by the not-seer, and he's nearly assassinated. But Rel, having, of course, seen the body, runs back and runs to them and, and arrives and spears the, the changeling. And it turns into a, you know, a little, like, I don't know, mass thing and burrows into the ground. Uh, Titch is pretty upset, and and Colwyn's suggestion that it's all okay because you know that the seer is dead because now he he's got a, this new family that seems kind of insensitive under the circumstances. I can see where he learned like, that was really shitty. That yeah, bit. well, he got it from Yadir. Like Yadir did well, exactly the same shit to him when his father died. And he wanted to grieve. He's like, oh, you got to be king now. He's like, oh, you got a new family now. Don't worry about it. It's all cool. Moving on, mate. Uh, but with the seer dead, they now have no way to find the Black Fortress. Except Yanir knows someone else who could do it. The Widow of the Web. Torkoal calls bullshit on this, saying it's certain death. But Yanir happens to know her, her, her name. So maybe they go way back to, like, college or something, and he can leverage that relationship. I don't know. Ergo turns himself to a, a basset hound, is it? I think so. Yeah, a, I think it's a basset. I think it's a basset. Turns himself to a cute puppy. Uh, I guess to make Titch feel better, because now he has a puppy. And it, he immediately grabs that puppy by the scruff on its back and yanks it towards him. Oh, and he I yanks the think, stomach of you, the puppy. Titch. Like, it doesn't seem... He, like, care was not taken to train this child on how to pick up this no. dog. He yanks it up, like he pulls it across the ground by its back, then scoops it up, like pressing into its stomach, and the dog looks fucked off. He's so unhappy about this situation. I'm immediately thinking, screw you, Titch. Yeah, it is, it's, it's shitty. Uh, But I mean, I, I blame Adam Sandler, of course. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, Because. I mean, he's trapping pigs under axes. Oh, and, Pulling dogs about. Yeah, well, and, and it's and 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 I think really, Adam Sandler just should have listened to the wisdom of W. C. Fields, which was never work with children or animals. And here he's done both. He's put yeah. child and animal into the same scene, and he's made the child all... and the animal work with each other, which he might have thought was a workaround. Is that would never work with children or animals, but you can make them work with each other. But it doesn't cancel out. No, it just, it just exacerbates the, things. Yeah, it, it's not good. It's you're not gonna good. up. You're gonna end up with a bit child, or a dog with a broken neck. Yanir decides that he's gonna approach the widow of the web alone, so the army makes camp to wait for him. They don't have any food, so they send Liam Neeson to visit one of his seven or eight wives, one of which <laughs> happens to live nearby, to get provisions, but not food. Because it's suggested that she's better at fucking than cooking. 
I I don't know how to feel about this philanderer. This yeah, uh, I think we're supposed to find it charmingly rebellious. Yeah, I guess, and and he seems to genuinely care for this woman, right? Yeah. Now he doesn't really talk. I think, and he might like mention one of them in passing. Otherwise, I don't know if he treats them all this way. It seems like they're treated well, and he's just on the road a lot. But he's, you know, he seems to be caring for all of these women. I, I don't want to not like him. But I also feel like maybe if these other women knew that the other women existed, because he has to, like, he has to try to convince his his wife, uh, Merith, that he's not interested in the other woman that she has brought to the camp. Yeah, he's a gallivanter. He is. He, he does gallivant. Uh, she does bring this young woman that's been living with her because her village burned down. And, and, and she is, like, super putting the moves on Colwyn. Now... All right, well, we'll address this in a second. Lyssa finds a window in the Black Fortress and is approached by the Beast again, who offers her power and demonstrates that he can look just like Colwyn if that's what she's into whilst at the same time showing her a vision at the, of the woman at the camp attempting to seduce Colwyn. I have some questions, I guess. Yeah. Like, how long has this woman been living with Merith? And, you know, because that's yeah, a lot like of Yeah, like, she's just been hanging around on the outs, on the off chance that one day she'll need to seduce a new king in the forest. Right? Uh, like, I, I guess the Beast obviously has great power and was able to, you know, had the capability to converse future sight onto the Cyclops. So I guess he can see the future and just yeah, put this. I mean, it seems so weird. <laughs> that One of those things, if you just think about it a little bit more, doesn't quite make sense. I think you may be the first and only person since 2015 to even consider that. That that could very well be the case. I just it feel like everyone likely. who worked on the film were like, yeah, that makes we'll sense. We'll breeze past it. They won't yeah. pick it up. No one will notice. Uh, I noticed. Anyway, he won't comfort her, and he won't let her comfort him. And when his lady can't have comfort, suggest and, and, and you know, like, sorry, I'm going to say that again. He won't. He won't comfort her, and she won't. He won't allow her to comfort him when his lady is somewhere else, unable to be comforted, right? Which yeah. suggests that he would otherwise be totally down for this in a threesome scenario. Oh yeah, I mean, if she was asleep, he'd be fucking her right now. <laughs> like if he was, if she was asleep, and his, and his wife was not, you know, like being held captive somewhere. I mean, I'd like to think he'd ask permission. What if? I, guess, I, feel, I feel like it's just they haven't had the conversation about swinging yet. Like, the what if culturally monogamy just isn't a thing? And and that wife of Liam Neeson's is being unreasonable. Oh, that, that could be. That could be. I hadn't thought of it in that perspective. But yes, culturally, it's entirely possible here that... Uh, so it makes Colwyn extra noble. It's like, you know, I could bone down and that would be fine. But... Lisa, or whatever her name is, is in trouble. She's in Howl's Moving Castle. I couldn't possibly get it hard 
knowing that she's there. No. I mean, like, I've I've tugged on it a bit. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't think I haven't tried. But it's just not working for me. And it's psychological. It's not physical. No, it's, and, just... it's, and it's really crushing, too. Because, I mean, you know, you're so used to, you wake up in the morning and that shit's up and ready to go. And then one day you wake up and it's not. And you're like, oh, my God, my power as a man is just vanished. So I better go rescue her now then, I guess. He's he's no doubt struggling here. Oh yeah. 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 Uh so she- I mean he's he's come with it soft a few times on the road. <laughs> you don't feel great about it though. <laughs> <laughs> flapped flapped it about like a Morris dancer with a flag. Revealing herself to be a changeling, the woman moves to kill Colwood, but stops saying that she fell in love with him in the last hour. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, The beast then tries a new tactic, offering to end the Slayer attacks if Lyssa agrees to the marriage. And I got a problem with this bit. Yeah. Because he's like, you know, more will die and, and all of this. And you'd think her story from now until the the finale is, I'm really torn about this. Do I surrender my freedom for the safety of my people? Or do I hold out some hope that love will conquer all? Instead, her thought is to mutter to herself, please hurry Corwin. Which suggests to me that she's running the math <laughs> and she's worked out... We can maybe lose 250,000. If he gets here in five days, this will be okay. We can lose a city or two. Yeah, I, I, I can afford, I can afford to, to sacrifice X number of people you yeah. know, for my own personal preference in, in life partner. Any, any more than five days and we will take a hit to our taxes. We, so we do Corwin, have to think this through. <laughs> get a wriggle on Corwin because, oof. At no point at, in this scene or at any point in the rest of the film is she torn by this. Is no. this an, is that, that threat had no impact on her. None. It just made her want Corwin to be a bit quicker, which she already did. <laughs> yeah, she, she, she already felt that there was a sense of urgency that should be applied. Yeah. I can only think after that scene, the beast retreats back to his squirmy body horror hole and is just like whoa I don't know about this <laughs> she's cold <laughs> I'd be worried to take out life insurance married to her Yanir gets to the home of the widow of the web which is much as you'd imagine a big ass cave filled with spider webs with her at the center in a little web cocoon thing that's sort of suspended in the middle of this chamber um as Yanir makes his way across the webs, a big old spider appears to threaten him. Uh, I also the frame rate on that CGI is a little bit wonky. Frame rate on that CGI is a bit wonky. Also, I gotta say they did not do the best job of like hiding the steel cables that he was actually <laughs> making his way across. Yeah, it, it really does look like a whole bunch of steel cables with some silly string sprayed on. <laughs> uh. A bit of a bit of an old mattress sheet. Uh, the uh, Yanir starts making his way across these. The spider threatens him, and, but then by saying the widow's name aloud, which also happens to be L- Lissa, like we couldn't, yep. we couldn't write another name. 
And he loves to bellow. He's just, Lisa! <laughs> Lisa! He gets very bellowy from this point in the film on. Yeah. Th- this convinces her to stop the spider's movement temporarily with a magic hourglass. Okay. That gives him barely enough time to reach the cocoon. It's uh, one of the thread that he's walking on snaps and and he has to climb up, but he makes it in there. And it turns out, hey, they had a relationship, but he left her to pursue his career. And uh, they had a son, which she killed at birth out of her rage at him leaving. And that's why she's imprisoned in this place now. This society has a really complicated system of justice. Yes. <laughs> like, this seems, like, don't get me wrong. A mother murdering their child is a pretty horrendous crime that deserves, I would argue, perhaps some special punishment. This seems excessive. I mean, I'd just, just take her to jail. Right? Reserve the spider cocoon for, I mean, at the very least, giant spider-related crimes. Right, yeah. Uh, at least make your punishment seem relevant. I don't know. I know why. I mean, unless unless that spider is the attorney general, <laughs> and he only knows how to dish out web-related punishments. <laughs> that could be. That could be it. Uh, they seem to forgive each other, and he makes her feel and look young by remembering what she looked like then. And that makes her feel good. Sort of restores some of her self-esteem. And I he, wish that worked in real life. Yeah, right? If I looked how I remembered. <laughs> uh, he asks her to find the Black Fortress, uh, which she does. And then leveraging her uh, feelings for him and using Colwyn and Lissa as a stand-in for their own relationship convinces her to sacrifice her life to give the sands from the hourglass to Yanir so the spider won't kill him on the way out. Uh, Though he'll die when he loses the last of the sand. And she is subsequently killed by the spider. Again, there there must be a better way of doing that. The rules have got to be better. Yeah, I don't understand why the hourglass had to be broken and the sand, like, no longer contained within it. Just turn the hourglass over again. Well, she said it could only be used once. How long has she been in there? And this is the vi- this is the only time she's ever turned it, and I guess she only turned it because she heard her name yelled by Yanir. That's an odd thing to even give them, is to give them this hourglass that they could only once use to stop the spider. And when she was a case, lot younger, why not turn it herself and, and get leave. out of there? Right, yes. Unless she feels she really deserves to be in a spider cocoon. Which, I guess, if you know, you harbor a lot of guilt for having killed your own child, maybe you do. But Maybe, but I, I'd have been like, this is stupid. <laughs> I do deserve punishment, but I'm getting out this of here and just doing ridiculous. this. I'm doing this myself. AG spiders, no thank you. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Yanir makes it back to the camp in time to the del- deliver the message, then, having run out of sand, also dies, telling Colwyn not to squander his power as he does. And again, he can't communicate properly at this point. It's all, at sunrise, in the iron desert, and then he falls over. 
How small is the Iron Desert that that's as specific as you need to be <laughs> to find this? That's that's a question. <clears throat> this location is also a ridiculously far distance away. So the army will now have to capture magical horses called fire mares. Thank God those suddenly exist. And they look like Clydesdales to me, but what the fuck do I know? Yeah, beautiful horses. Beautiful. And such a talent. Uh, a group of them are quickly herded and captured. Uh, Rel decides that he's going to say goodbye here because it is also his time to die now. Okay. And, 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 and you couldn't, I, I guess for them to go against what their vision is of where they're supposed to die causes them pain. Yeah. That's also I mean, runs in defiance they, they... of the idea that they have this future site that shows them when they die. Because if they could change that, then they're not really seeing the point at which they die, even if it would cause them great pain. Yeah. I mean, the trouble is when you start fucking around with future and time travel and any of that shit, you're just going to make trouble for right. yourself. Yeah, as you, a you just shouldn't do it. No. You know? Or if you're going to, you know, get future sight, you can't have it be of a fixed event that only affects the person with the future sight. Yeah. You know? Because then that that just destroys your whole future sight opportunity. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Uh... Sandler was trying to make it too complex. It's true. I'm like, dude, you stick to what you know. Right. Uh, what does he know? Uh, Dunkin' Donuts promotional right. Right. Uh, that, You're right. That's something that's I'm surprised, notably absent. I, I, I sort of go into Adam Sandler films like not seeing the product placement because I'm just so inured to it now. That I didn't realize uh, I I was really actively looking for any in this film and I didn't find it. Yeah. Kind of surprising. I I swore the last time I saw it, I remembered that spider chugging some Pepto Bismol, but I didn't see it in this one this time around. Weird. Um, so riding these horses that set fire to everything in their path—that sounds it's really destructive. <laughs> they travel. They also uh, fly. Apparently, they they alternate between running and flying. There, they travel to the Black Fortress. They do whatever the story needs <laughs> them to do. Right. They're only there because the story invented them just now. Because they had to also invent a problem for them to be a great distance away. None of this is necessary. I'm like, at this point, why didn't at the beginning of the film they just say, right, where's that castle finding fork? Yeah. Would have solved this whole problem. Yeah. Uh, Once there, they begin climbing to the entrance under fire from the Slayers. Uh, the one of the bandits that expressed the doubt multiple times, you know, Hagrid, as to the yep. value of this quest, he gets shot, and when he does so, agrees that it was worth it, and I don't see how he came <laughs> to that conclusion. <laughs> you know what? I was thinking this was a waste of time until I got killed. <laughs> I I was sure that I was going to die and see no benefit from any of this. And now that I'm dying and seeing no benefit from any of it, I know that I was wrong. (laughs) It was all about the friends I didn't make along the way. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, Rel shows up in spite of his intent of accepting his fate to die where he was and holds the door open for Colwyn and the others so they can get inside the, uh, the, the castle before it teleports away. 
uh, only to be crushed in the end by this door. Uh, wandering through the corridors, Liam Neeson gets shot and asks them to tell one of his the one of his wives that we've seen that he loved her. Uh, you'd think he'd have... This is where I'm kind of now confused. Like, you'd think he'd have asked him to go see all of his wives. Maybe he just realized that's a big ask. Like, the other six or seven that he has are just going to now, like, wonder what happened to him for the rest of their lives, and only Merritt is going to know. She'll pass the message on. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, they trap and the floor opens as people are wandering through and Ergo and Tish become trapped by slayers. So Ergo transforms into a tiger to defend them. Uh, but now they are separated from the rest of the party. And the remainder of the group finds that weird dome room. And Colwyn said, like everyone in this movie apparently, must proceed alone now. This is the third mm-hmm. time someone's had to proceed alone. Twice for I'm him. I'm sick of it when I see it in one film, yeah. like once in a film. Uh, using the glaive, he uh, throws it at the wall and it spins in the air, cutting that wall for a while. Not sure how this is helping, but okay. He's also seemingly well aware that this is where Lissa is, despite not really having any context or background knowledge that we're aware of for it. Meanwhile... The rest of the other bandits fall through a wall into some other chamber with spikes that attempt to kill them, but stop briefly long enough for one of the bandits to want to retrieve his dropped knife <laughs> so he could get himself killed. This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, again, none of this was... That. Why were you, Why were these guys wandering around anywhere? They should have just been standing still outside that dope waiting. Maybe they were like... We can't really see the point of this, but Robbie Coltrane knew what was up. Maybe if we get killed, we'll work it we'll, out we'll as well. Find, we'll find purpose. Clearly getting killed is what this is all about. Or maybe they were we wandering come this around far, looking sunk for cost cash. Fallacy. Like it could have been on the hunt for, for money to just make this like, well, all right, if you're just going to be standing around here throwing your spinny thing at a wall, we're going to look for something valuable to make this worth the effort. Oh, yeah. The, the film could have given them reasons. Chose it didn't. not to. Yeah. The glaive penetrates the prison wall and Colwyn is reignited, re- reignited, reunited with, uh, with Lyssa. They hear the beast and Colwyn makes a move to confront it, but Lyssa warns him that he's too powerful here at the center of the fortress and uh, must be defeated somewhere else. So instead, Colwyn throws the glaive in the general direction of the beast and it just flies around seemingly at random and breaking rocks okay uh, after a brief, te- brief tete-a-tete with some slayers the beast reveals itself and Colwyn uh, a- attacks it with the glaive which spins suspended in air between them for a stupidly long time uh, they watch it the beast shoots some kind of energy at it and then it just sort of flies into his chest Colwyn tries to call the glaive back to his hand but it seems unwilling to return despite multiple efforts so he decides to just go up and try to grab it by hand, and the beast, which is not dead, takes a swipe at him, so Colwyn thinks better of the whole endeavor and just decides to run away with Lyssa. This is not a particularly, like, this is supposed to be a climactic battle. There's not much battle going on. No, it really does just, everything peters out here. It's really a shame because, I mean, you know, we didn't really talk about it, but I was surprised at how competent, uh, a 
fight seed chore- uh, choreographer uh, Adam Sandler chose for this film. Because it really, in those early battles, it really does feel like a a, a swashbuckling, Errol Flynn-type uh, fighting yeah. thing going on. And, and then this is just like psychic Here powers it's like you can't you, see. Yeah, at this point, you might as well have just said, right, he's at the top of a construction site throwing barrels down at him. I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. He grabs a hammer or something, you know? Right, right. It, it just feels kind of They don't even go cheap. that far. They feel like they just yeah. threw in a boss fight to have a boss. It, it, yeah. it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, the beast in pursuit, Colwyn despairs because he can't fight it without the glaive. But Lissa determines it's their love the beast can't defeat. And remembering their unfinished wedding ceremony returns to him the magic fire that she's been holding on to. And I'm pretty sure that's a metaphor for horniness. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, Colwyn uses it to deflect the beast's attacks before burning it alive, smiling as uh, he continues to spray flame. It's a little creepy. <laughs> He's loving it. He's really, really into this. Uh, uh, gonna make a real magnanimous king. The beast defeated. The fortress begins crumbling. Finding some of the bandits, Colwyn notices blood and somehow determines it must be Ergos. So in they, he insists that they look for him. And they find him because of Tish rattling his staff, and they all run out of the fortress uh, with bridges collapsing dramatically from underneath them as they go. Safe outside, Ergo gets to meet Lissa for the first time and realizes, hey, this means we've won. Colwyn offers to remove the shackles from Torquil, but Torquil figures he'll keep them. So Colwyn just gives him the key, intimating that he's now going to be his Lord Marshal. Uh, Then the voiceover returns, reminding us about the prophecy regarding the marriage, which ends with a kid ruling the galaxy. Hey, I smell sequel. Pixels 2. Yeah. 2020. And that's it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's it. The sun will rule the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. Big ask. Did you like it or not? You know, it's it's weird. I I I didn't like this movie, right? And and I you know, yeah. I don't think I'm ever gonna like Pixels, but mm-hmm. I will admit, I was not like seething with anger the way that I have been on on prior viewings, right? Yeah. It, it, I don't know if it's just familiarity, or, you know, but it's if. It felt like a little bit of a different movie this time, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I felt, at times watching this, I could have picked any movie this time around, and I went with Pixels. Right. Yeah. When the conceit of what we were doing gave me free reign over any film I could imagine. Anything, yes. The the whole universe of of cinema. Yes. At your fingertips. <laughs> Bound by no constraints. And I went with pixels. <laughs> weird. Weird. Very weird. Very weird choice, sir. Yeah. Well, next year we won't do pixels. No. No. We'll do something different. And maybe not game related. Maybe not. Make that a tradition. Maybe that'll thing be maybe that'll be the tradition going forward because I I feel like we have done as much pixels as we possibly can. Yeah, and I'm sorry if I've made people watch pixels again. Some people may be thinking, 
well, what was the point? What a cruel, cruel joke that was. What, what, have, what have we watched that for? But make like Robbie Coltrane and understand that one day you will die <laughs> and you will remember it was worth it. So what are we doing next time, Jim? Uh, heavens, I can't even remember. Uh, what did we decide on? Um, oh, Scott Pilgrim. Yes. Had a lot of people ask us about this over the years, and I guess it's finally time. Yeah, never seen it. Never played that game everyone said was good. Never read the comics. I I know it's about boyfriends, um, and it's got that one in it. Yeah. That Michael Cera, is it? Yep, yep. I've I've seen it. He's gone the way of quicksand. He has kind of disappeared, hasn't he? I didn't realize that, because he was such a a big deal. I think once people found Jesse Eisenberg, they were like, we don't need this one anymore. Well, that could be. Yeah, the only thing I've seen him in notably recently is, uh, you know, like, at post-social network, the only thing I can think of that I've really seen him in was... Um... That was Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, my God, it was. I told you, we don't need Michael Cera anymore. Right. Oh, fuck. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen... Just Arrested Development. The new season of Arrested Development's the last... Oh, yeah, The only yeah. thing I've seen him do lately. Wow. All right. Well, go, yeah. Well... I'm, look, I'm, I have seen Scott Pilgrim a couple of times. Uh, it is definitely mm-hmm. a dense movie with a lot of, a lot to talk about, so I uh, look forward to hearing what you think about it. Uh, Scott Pilgrim and the Wasp. <laughs> Oh. Follow Conrad at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman. That's right. Um, anything else? No, I think plugging? we've done enough. No? <laughs> All right, yeah, we've done we've done enough damage. Um, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time with Scott Pilgrim. Definitely, it will be Scott Pilgrim. Definitely for sure. Uh, for sure, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. We should do pixels next time. <laughs> <laughs>